Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello, my name is Gary Mansfield, and this is the Ministry of Arts podcast, where each week I'll be speaking to a different artist. Now let's begin by bagging these bongos. Hello, and welcome to episode 193 of the Ministry of Arts podcast. And what a great little podcast I have for you today. But before we go any further, I'd like to thank our Patreon supporters, without whom we would not be able to produce this podcast. If you're a regular listener of podcasts, but you're new to the Ministry of Arts podcast, you'll notice that we have no adverts. That's because we didn't want to be dictated to by the advertisers and we wanted to be in control of our own content. The flip side to that is, we have to self-fund. Then around a year ago, we started a Patreon page, which enables us to produce what you're hearing today. So if you like what you're hearing today, you can go over to the Ministry of Arts Instagram profile, click on their Linktree drop-down box, and you can get directed to the Patreon page. And for as little as a cup of coffee per month, You can help this podcast carry on in the ramshackled manner it does. But if you're not able, or that's not for you, absolutely fine. This content is free for everyone. But back to today's artist, which is painter Trish Wiley. Now, I've not met Trish before this podcast, but let me tell you one thing. By the end of it, I felt like I found myself a new friend. Possibly because of a similar sort of background and experiences, you know. Although, (laughs) I'm not saying she's a convicted drug smuggler. (laughs) That aside, we had similar journeys. She grew up in South London as one of ten children. And although I didn't touch on it too much, the story of her parents is one that books and films are made of, you know? And if you've been listening for a while, you'll be aware that many of our podcasts were recorded several weeks ago. This one, however, was just a couple of weeks back. And let it jump the queue a little bit, because Trish has got an exhibition coming up at 99 Projects, which starts on the 14th of October. So I thought, why not bring it out a few days before? But better still, rather than me sit here and tell you about Trish and her exhibition, come and hear it from the lady herself, as I spoke over Zoom to Trish Wiley. 
to say, um, when I listen to your your introduction to your whole podcast that you do when you first started, it was so um, such gripping listening. It was oh, really what a story you have. And and I've actually I know two people, well three people that have been in prison, and one of them has written a book called um, Abyss for Stretch, which I've just read. How cool is that? Or oh, how cool is it? he? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I know Chris. And oh, yeah. <laughs> what you were saying about being inside, about how awful it is. You know, he writes about it so yeah. well, and you know, and it's fantastic what you've done with your life. Oh, thank you, thank you. And I think you talk about art really well. Not oh, that good. you need me to endorse it, but no, no, it's, but it's very refreshing. Yeah, it's nice to have it. Um, it's nice to have it endorsed. It really is. The estuary accent. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. But yeah, it should be there. It should be out there more. And funny enough, a friend of mine called Steve Edge, he who's got the nickname of the, um, I think he's called the Earl of Shoreditch. <laughs> and nice. um, he's a really interesting man. Um, and he uh, grew up in Brixton, and but he dresses like a real dandy. And I met him at a private view, and I thought he'd be some really wealthy collect collector. And we went to shake hands, and I. Uh, and he just said, "Hello, Trish." <laughs> and he runs uh, he runs um, two studios, one in Shoreditch and one in the Midlands, where it's all to do with rebranding. So it's very sort of commercial, but it's hugely successful. Yeah, good. Um, and so he, me, and him were talking about doing a podcast, but we never got beyond doing it because I was saying to him, "You're the only person I've met." other than a few people that I went to college with, yeah. that when I'm out at private views and everything, that I said that talks like I do. Yeah. Do you know Ray Richardson? No. Yeah, he's from Woolwich. So he's from your side of the water, as it were. <laughs> yeah, because um, you're Essex, are you? I am, yeah. Yeah. Well, when I'd just fallen for art and wanted, yeah. decided I wanted to be an artist, I did, I know you've heard me say this, but I did just think it was middle-class white men well-educated who spoke like poets. And I thought, I'm going to have to be a bloody tattooist or a sign writer or something, you know, use the skills in that way. Because I didn't think that the life of an artist was for someone like me. And then we were just watching this TV programme and Ray Richardson started talking. And I was like, Christ almighty, he, he sounds like I do, you know. <laughs> yeah, that was in 1997, possibly, 96. Right. And um, yeah, we've been um, really good mates ever since. That's fantastic. But it's 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 proof, isn't it? It's yeah. if you don't see yourself, if you don't see it, you don't think you can be it. No. Well, you it was know. it was because of that little story that I just mentioned. Yeah. That was one of the main factors of me wanting to do a podcast to put my voice out there, yes. so that any other person from where we're from who yes. was who had that same feeling. Yes. Who nowadays would think they can only be a graffiti artist. Not that there's anything wrong with that. No, I completely but, get where you're, what you're saying. Yeah. Absolutely. But if they think the, the fine arts or, you know, or, or anything that, that we do is out of their reach, then I'm hoping that just listening to me, and, and I know it works because I've had so many messages, emails and whatnot for 
from people telling that. So it does just in, endorse my my thought straight away. Oh, absolutely. And so you're a man on a mission. Mm. And it's like, um, you know, I mean, I'm a lot, I think I'm a lot older than you. And when I was at college, I found it, you know, I was in the minority because of class, basically. Yeah. Um, and um, and also what, what was interesting was you, you, you're saying to yourself, you thought there was only certain parts of the art world that would be open to you because of your background. Yeah. But you obviously haven't done that. And I've been the same. I felt like I could have gone into different routes and I thought, oh yeah, that's what everyone will be expecting me to do. But where's all the working class people being painters? Yeah. You know, and women and mothers. So yeah. that so it's that it's a similar uh like two fingers up to the establishment, isn't it? By yeah, saying, actually, I'm gonna do this. Yeah. When did you start? Or rather, how did your art life start? Was there art at home? My dad, I came from a really big family. I came from ten, there were ten children. Wow. You had to fight for your supper, right? Yeah, you had, to, <laughs> you had to fight for everything. A very lively household. Brilliant. Like in a four-bedroom council flat, and Granny lived with us at one time. Wow. But my dad, he was a, a saddle and harness maker. Oh, well, yeah. So he was a fantastic craftsman. And they were Irish, my parents, so they were immigrants. And when they first came to England, they found it difficult to get housing. And, and my mum came from a very posh family, but mum and dad had eloped. So I had this really, I, I had a really odd, you know, it was, it was like mum was in the wrong place for herself, really. She'd been to boarding school. Oh, wow. And lived in a great big house and had a pony. <laughs> and your dad made the saddle. Yeah, he was, it was, and they, and um, he, and they ran off together and got married, you know, and they're both dead now. But anyway, so they, uh, my dad was a, was a a harness and saddle maker, but he was actually, um, him and his sisters, he was the only boy in a family of six, and um, his sisters were all brilliant seamstresses. And they were all, his mum was really clever with, as they used to say, with her hands. Yeah. And she could do anything. And, um, and I think it was sort of from that, you don't sort of know exactly, but it was like in the family, they'd say, oh, Trish is clever with her hands, you know. But the <laughs> yeah, only thing, I couldn't yeah. sew. I wasn't interested in sewing. I liked drawing. That's what I liked doing and, and painting. So... Um, and um, yeah, so I think maybe it was from that, from dad's side of the family. Nice. Because there's a visual intelligence with them because yeah. they could look at something uh, without a pattern. He'd just have a look at something like it could be a coat, a pair of shoes, and he'd know how to make it. Because they what they're doing is they can deconstruct. Yeah, they're unwrapping it in their mind. Exactly. Aren't they? And yeah, then brilliant. they do it and then they put it all back together again. Yeah, and, and he never mind. thought it was anything to write home about. But it's God, that's so clever what you can do. Yeah. You know? And w when did art take a grip on you then? When did you think that you could become an artist? Do you remember? Yes. Well, what happened was I went to a grammar school and I think a lot of grammar schools, well, the way it was then, this was the early 70s, 
their art department wasn't great. Their science department would, was a lot better. They obviously yeah. spent a lot more on the science labs than they did in the art department. And they were in those days were trying to get young women ready for a nice secretarial course. Of or, course, yeah, it was like that when or, I was at school. Yeah. Or going off to university, but you're only going to university maybe until you're going to be a wife and mother. Exactly. Um, there, you know, it was a convent grammar school, so there was a lot of good things about it, but there's, you know, it was, it was um, deeply conservative, I suppose. So anyway, I didn't do terribly well at school. I started going off the rails when I was about 13. 14 and so I left with only a few O-levels and went straight into work and I had lots of different jobs I just go from one job to another I used to look at other people and I used to think they would seem happy enough here and I was always clock watching and I was always bored and I was always wanting to mess about and often getting into trouble really and in the end I had uh, oh and I got married I got married when I was 18 and it was all part and parcel of the same thing, all being very lost, really, yeah. not really knowing uh, what to do. And I think in my family, I was seen as difficult um, because I just didn't get on with, look, just go and get a job and do what everyone else is doing, sort yeah. of thing. And, and fortunately, my eldest sister, she worked at an advertising agency and she said, Trish, you're just like all the blokes in the creative team. She said, they're all a bit mad. <laughs> <laughs> and she said, and you're just like them. And she said, I'm going to arrange for you to come in and you're going to um, have like, a, uh, what are they called? It's like a personality and intelligence test. Okay. Isometric testing. Okay. This would have been 1977, I think. I was 19, 20, uh, and I went for this thing, and I had to stay there all day in this office in Soho Square, and this lovely man called Stan Smith, who had actually been one of the um, side psychoanalysts, I think, or oh, psychotherapists, yeah. Yeah, who yeah. had actually um, designed this testing, and it took all day. I mean, you, wow. I sat down in the morning and it was like setting, being set all these different tests. And I remember I could smoke and I had cups of coffee and I sat there and I really enjoyed it. I'd always thought after school, I thought I was stupid. You know, I felt yeah, a bit failure yeah. really. And whereas when I started grammar school, I was like one of the high performing kids in the class, you know. And I was doing all this testing and I really enjoyed it. And I was getting this one-to-one -one attention from this boy. <laughs> anyway, and then, and then we started to add lunch. And then after lunch, I had to do some more. And I knew by some of the answers I was giving, I most likely wasn't going to get the job. Yeah. Because I could see what would be the right answer. Yeah. But I, I was more curious as to who I was. I felt mm. I was going to be finding something out about yeah. myself. Yeah. I did that. I answered very honestly. Anyway, and afterwards, he said to me, um, I, I, can't, I can't put you forward to work here. He said, you're not going to be a team player here. <laughs> he, said, he said, I'm really interested in, in you. He said, wow. I'm really interested in your results. He said, you're a very creative person. And he said, and the reason, oh, and he wanted to know more about me. And I told him about, you know, I'll keep leaving jobs and blah, blah, blah. And he said, well, it's because they're not, challenging enough for you you need to be 
doing something much more creative. And he went on to talk about other things and saying, if you come from a large family, a lot of children underperform um, because it's lack of attention and lack yeah, of, yeah. you know, and having responsibility put on you and blah, 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 blah. So anyway, and just on that, I came out of that place and I just felt completely different. He'd opened a door for me and restored my yeah. sense of, oh, I'm not stupid. And, um, and so I signed up to do um, an A-level art class oh, in the evening. So I used to work in a building site in two nights a week, I went to Brixton and did uh, evening classes there. And then the woman, Carol White, Wyatt, her name was, she was great. Um, she uh, said to me, why don't you apply for college? And so I did. And the first year I applied, I never got in. I, I think I applied for the wrong colleges for me. And um, and also I had to get an I had to also get a, an art history O level. You needed oh, wow. another O level as well. Yeah. And the following year I applied and for Camberwell and I got in. And the reason why I got in was because um, Dick Lee, who interviewed me, said, because I said, What is it you're looking for? And he was saying, you know, it's 10% talent, 90% hard work. Wow. And he said, and you didn't get in last year. I never applied to them, but he could see what I've been doing. And yeah. he said, so that's why we wanted you, you know. And that was new to me because I used to think, oh, everyone has to fall out of bed and just be completely a genius. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was part of demystif the demystification of the arts, really, yeah. was that finding, oh, you have to work at it then. Yeah. Well, I can do that, you know. So, um, and Camberwell, what, what, what was brilliant about Camberwell at that time, um, and not everything there was brilliant by any means, but one of the brilliant things I think about them was that uh, within a very short space of time, you learned a lot of skills. You, you, they taught you how to look you were drawing from like 9.30 in the morning till four o'clock in the afternoon. Then you might have, you'd have a break and then there'd be an evening class. And they do blocks of drawing, like you do a whole week of drawing and you'd be drawing the same bloody thing for like days, you yeah, know. Yeah. Uh, but it was really intense and you used to have to do Saturday classes as well. You know, I started in September and by Christmas, my skills and my knowledge, you know, the growth of, of my sort of artistic um, minds and hands and iron hearts, if you like, yeah. had really sort of leapt forward. And from then on, it was, I, I realised it's, it's actually, this is never ending. Yeah. It's not, it's not a place where you reach destination. It's, you're just on this fantastic. It's the start of it, yeah. Well, a yeah. method like that is definitely not like that at university anymore, is it? Is study, study, study. Um, oh, what, what, what? Because I've got no idea, really. I've, well, I've, although I've I went to colleges, but not for for a very long time. Although I went to college uh, to university twenty years ago, yeah, there it is. You just bring your skill set, and then it gets sort of analysed for that three years. You know, it's, you you don't have to do drawing and painting no. and lessons and you know. Yes and enhance your skills it doesn't yes. it doesn't work like that it's as if that's uh for you to do on your own you know yeah and that's only the university i was at what others are like i i don't no, know. i've heard i've heard similar i've heard similar i think at camberwell they still 
I think Camberwell still has quite a strong painting school, yeah. I think. But it's interesting because, of course, since I was at Camberwell, the art world changed and, you know, we had conceptual art really took forefront, you know, yeah. with um, all the artists you, who were so brilliant at answering you when yeah. you put the feelers out. But for me, I'm, I'm glad that I've actually learned those things because yeah. I feel that I have those as a toolbox, but also it was just an incredibly immersive exercise. I mean, really immersive. And I suppose there, what they were doing was, what was priority was looking and making. And you read, of course, and you went to seminars and you had all this other stuff going on. Yeah. And it, you were trying to sort of, make it all link up together somehow you know so and it's very so your art your art education is very different to mine very much so and what happened after uni did you become an artist straight away after that no well what happened was um my I got uh, uh slightly interrupted because I felt pregnant yeah which happens to, to, <laughs> to many of people yeah <laughs> In, in the uh, summer holidays after my foundation year and just starting my degree. And, um, but I planned to just continue with the pregnancy. Um, and cause I just thought, oh, I can do, you know, I'm only having a baby. It's like, <laughs> yeah. I can do a degree, have a baby. <laughs> and well, cause I'd watch mum have 10. So yeah. to me, I was only having one. Only 10% <laughs> of the problem. <laughs> So, and, and, but in fact, when I look back on it, it was incredibly challenging and it didn't need to be, but because of sort of like prevailing attitudes at the time, I had to fight to stay at Camberwell. They put yeah. me under pressure to leave and it was all down to sexism, really. You know, I felt I was backed in a corner and I had to come out fighting. And so I managed to stay, but you know, it was, it was very, very difficult. For me uh there were certain people there that were really supportive but you know at the time when I was at, at college you know the boys got a lot of attention I mean and all the staff were men to start with yeah that's changed now I've heard it's all completely different yeah but you know um you see male members of staff have come into all your shared studios and they make a beeline for the lads and not not deal with you or they only deal with you if you're going to flirt with them or Wow. You know, there was completely different interactions yeah. between yeah. staff and students. And being pregnant, actually, you know, just made me even more um, female, <laughs> didn't it? Yeah, yeah <laughs> and, uh, and, I, and I ended up wanting to make work about, about being pregnant or about having had a child. And I was really discouraged because they said, that's not serious. That's not about serious things, you yeah. know. yeah. Um, but I did end up doing work about it in the end. Um, but um, it was, I mean, you learn from all of these things, whether whatever I think you're, how you perceive it at the time, and when you look back on it, you perceive it differently. I still came away from there having learned an awful lot, and I'm really glad I did, you know, and I'm grateful for a lot of my experiences at Camberwell, meeting other you know, the other students, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, so 
Yeah, so I then, when I left Camberwell, I didn't want to get swamped or swallowed up by domesticity. So I found a studio in Brixton straight away. Nice. And um, uh, and ended up sharing with um, two friends of mine that we were at Camberwell together. Um, and... Um, and one of them, Margaret, is still there. It's um, I think it's called Clockwork Studios um, in Brixton, and uh, and I was there for a few years. Um, and I think I was I used to do some part time work for Southwark Council, working with kids over in Greenwich, in fact. Yeah. Um, with people who would teach nature, so it was nature and art being sort of. Yeah, yeah. Together, you know, with all these little scallywags of the local council. Um, and it was, uh, yeah, so I was doing that. Um, I was married to a fireman. And so we, so I was able to somehow manage to pay for having a studio and getting some work done. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, right from the get-go, I thought, no, this is what I'm doing. You know, I said, I went to art school because I want to be... I want to do art. Yeah, yeah. And that and that means I don't want anyone else telling me what I've got to do. <laughs> it was, <laughs> you know, it was that I want to do what I want to do, but I yeah. didn't know what it was I wanted to do yet. Do you know what I mean? I don't know how. I mean, I think your journey is very different. It's, and I, I've seen your work, and I think your work's great. I love that shirt you did. Oh, thank you. And uh, yeah, and all the barbed wire. I just thought it's really, really good. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. And, well, I mean, speaking of work, how has your work changed over the years? Uh, how does it start? I mean, I went through a phase. I've always painted, and colour has always been a huge part of the work that I do and I think I see colour really easily it's a language that I understand like without it's not something when they, when they used to try and teach us art theory and everything I got bored it's like oh don't bog me down with the <laughs> theory yeah <laughs> let's just get on with it yeah <laughs> and uh, and there's something about the physicality of paint I love I, I mean I love materials basically yeah and I like picture making though, and I love film. So, and filmmaking. And years ago, I was more of an abstract painter. Oh, and I moved down to Dorset and lived in Dorset for 25 years and um, had a massive studio right near the sea. Nice. Um, and 
while I was there, I my work suddenly switched and it went from, I used to do thumbprints and lip prints. So it was all about identity. And then I blow these big thumbprints or fingerprints up, maybe six foot by five. And I was making them out of um, beeswax. And so they'd smell like honey and they were like golden. Because yeah. I'd got into encaustic paint, but then I moved through encaustic to this. So anyways, this is where I was going at that time. But then I suddenly had a light bulb moment um, and I never had a television. And I was reading The Guardian one Saturday and it said The Magnificent Seven were going to be on the telly. And uh, I, when I grew up, it, everything was Westerns on telly. Oh, and I, I love film and I love Westerns, love cowboys. And apparently mum and dad said the first words I ever said was I was jumping up and down on the end of their beds and it was Gigi Fury, Cheyenne Bang. <laughs> <laughs> oh, please tell me you've used that for a title of an artwork. Before. I have done. Of I've course. Had, I've used, of I've used course. it for a show. Brilliant. So, <laughs> so anyway, um, uh, when I saw when I saw that the film was on, I thought, oh shit, I really love that film. And, and there was a great little uh, picture of all of them, you know, this um, promotion promotional sort of um, photograph of all the seven actors in the Magnificent Seven. Yeah. And I just thought, oh, sod it, I'm going to paint them. And I, I then I got all excited and I, I was working out, how am I going to do it? And I got these three great big canvases and th this painting ended up, I can't remember how big it was, but my paintings ended up being very big. And I yeah. just started painting from film and doing lots of paintings from Westerns and ended up showing in the Mayfair Gallery for several years. And then my work started being collected and, um, so it was, you know, I, 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 I married two things that I love very much, which was cinema and painting. And, and it was also about uh, reversing the relationship between film and viewer, because with the painting, the viewer is moving, but the painting obviously is still yeah and um and, and of course it's the opposite when you're watching a film but a lot of the films that I was working from were made by directors like John Ford um Akira Kurosawa and Sergio Leone and all three of them uh uh made art themselves but also were very influenced by art and they would go and when I, I mean the visual arts, I mean painting really. Yeah. And they would go and look at art for the art paintings to inform the way their films would look, you know. So, um, so I got very involved in that. So I went from being quite abstract to very figurative. And then uh, I started to move into more, bringing in sort of um, feminism, because uh, a lot of my paintings were about men and horses and, you know, and there's a lot of energy and dynamism. Um, and then I did uh, a lot of work all about going into the menopause called I Rose Matter. 
and the work was um, of me dressed as a cowboy. And a lot of the, uh, a lot of them have got an awful lot of rose matter, the colour in them. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I used the colour as a to, to be interpreted in lots of different ways, and and also because rose matter is a fugitive colour, it it changes, and yeah. it's like, and I felt that was echoing the the menopause, you know. And and now my current work is still has the um, cowboy, but the cowboy is becoming much more symbolic, and you can't see it's me anymore. Um, but there's a lot of uh, work that is to do with gender roles and the anima in the animus in human beings that Jung talks about. Yeah, yeah. And so I've done a series called The Marlborough Woman because Marlborough Cowboy was invented by advertising in the Yeah, 50s. yeah, of course. And it was a woman's cigarette before the Marlborough Cowboy came along. Oh, there you go. I didn't it know was that. A woman's brand. I thought it was possibly the most sort of masculine branded um of all the cigarettes because of the cowboy exactly it was, a it man's, it was a man's fag oh it was a man's cigarette <laughs> <laughs> no but you're right and they were beautiful i mean the you know the advertising campaigns were they look so gorgeous you know yeah. and um, and it worked because the reason why they were having to um, try and lure men to smoke these cigarettes was because generally men were smoking non-tipped cigarettes. Yeah. And in the 50s, that's when all the uh, news was breaking about the link between smoking and lung cancer. Yeah. So the tobacco company didn't want to lose those men smoking but they wanted them not to die quite so quickly. So they wanted <laughs> to switch them to um, tip cigarettes. Yeah. And so they had, they tried out apparently different male sort of icons before that, or ideas, if you like, like sailors and I forget what else they've tried, but it was the cowboy that they, that really was successful. Yeah. And the cowboy represented independence, ruggedness, free-spirited. Yeah, and, yeah, you know, of course. And, and I think, well, women like that too. Yeah. You know, it's not, it's, these are things that um, I think are not gender-based. No. And um, so, uh, but they are part of what society tells us to do. Sorry, I'll just send No, you're off. quite right. That's all right. And of course, um, oh, what's his name? Prince has done all the work on the cowboy. So yeah, so my work is, if, if uh, people were to look at my work over the last 20 years, they'll see, they'll see a thread that's running through, but it's going on this journey. It's a bit like being on a train and yeah, you're getting yeah. off at different stops and trying out different things. Of course, and then yeah. You know. And the, and the other thing with this latest work is that I went to the Mojave Desert for for, oh, well. for a couple of weeks and stayed in an old caravan and, and didn't have a car. And I did lots of watercolours um, nice. and I fell in love with the Mojave Desert. And it was like, I think it's because of this link with watching films and Westerns, but it's, it's, um, it's also, I was always a tomboy. Uh, and I think it sort of 
it all just resonated with me on quite a deep level. And so yeah. when I went to the desert, I was completely unprepared for feeling I had to come home. Uh, so my current show has got work with Marlborough Woman, uh, and then there's uh, there's menopausal cowboys in it. <laughs> and <laughs> I love it. And then there's all these little watercolors and acrylic paintings of the Mojave Desert, which. If, you ever, if you've never been, if you ever get a chance to go, I'd say go. If you like wild beauty, I mean, it is wild, it, 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 but it's, you know, the skies are never ending. I mean, it's a And was you there all alone? When you talk about the Mojave Desert, people think, I don't know what people think, but it's not as, um, it's, like, um, it's like a huge national park. Yeah. Right. People, I mean, I read after, while I was there oh, wow. that they found the remains of some bloke who went missing. <laughs> and there's me who doesn't like, I'm not a great map reader. <laughs> Going around in my watercolors. But that you have like a big main road that runs through it. And everything. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, you sort of, oh, I don't know how to explain it. I mean, I was on my own in the caravan, but there's other houses not that far away, but Got then you. there's nothing. Yeah, It's yeah. like, and I was told by this, um, by the man who owned the caravan, he said, look, he said, you can just come up the back there. And that's... That's the desert, and I went, yeah. oh, but I felt like, oh, no, I've got to buy my ticket, my entrance. Yeah, of course, of course. And, and the other interesting thing is I live in Shepherd's Bush, and I go to Kew Gardens quite a lot. And I, when I was in the, the succulent house, or whatever they call it, where all the cacti are and everything, it turns out that it was an English woman that got the Americans to uh, make Joshua Tree in the Mojave Desert. Yeah, yeah. Park. It was nice. just great, you yeah. know. But it's a, it's a stunning place and it's, it's um, and I spent a couple of days there, a friend of mine, she's a filmmaker, she's English, but she lives in America. And she did, um, uh, oh, what's it called? Max Headroom. Do you have a- Yeah, of course, yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, Annabelle's my friend and she, 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 that's her creation. And me and her are in this open top, um, like sports type car she yeah. came to stay with me for the weekend and uh, as we were driving into the into the park a coyote just come out with a big jackrabbit in its mouth wow it, we, we just couldn't believe what we were seeing because you don't see them you hear them yeah yeah you yeah. don't see them and um and and it just sort of loped off in front of us it was big and the Jack Rabbit was big, you know, and it just went over and went on its way and then stopped to look back at us. You know, you really <laughs> felt like there was there was an interaction. Yeah. And uh, she said, because you get roadrunners there and everything, yeah. and it's like big boulders, and they used to film <laughs> Star Trek there. And you oh, can yeah. see that they filmed Star Trek. Because it's got an otherworldly feel to it. You yeah, know? yeah. But I won't say, tell you what we both said when we saw this. <laughs> I also, but, um, and, and, and Annabelle said, oh, she said it's like being in the car too. Yeah. As soon as you said a coyote, the road runner come to my head. <laughs> so it was, a, it was a really magical time and, and it's fed into my work. Um, I think I was meant to go there. Yeah. I actually went there to see my daughter who was living at the time in Venice in LA because her, her husband's a cinematographer 
and she's a producer and they were out there for their careers. I thought I'd be going off to Beverly Hills and <laughs> going and looking at Hollywood and everything. Yeah. I wasn't the least bit interested. I wanted to be in the desert. So it's been a, um, it was a very spiritual thing, I think. Very, very deep thing. And well, it's, it's, it's been, that I presume that that environment has been travelling with you all your life, hasn't it? You know? Exactly. Exactly. It wasn't a conscious thing. Yeah. You know, it's like, um, I didn't think, oh, yeah, let's go there and I'll suddenly feel like I'm in a Western. But you're absolutely right. It's having, I was tuned into it already. Yeah. It's deep in my subconscious. It, they call it when you experience the sublime. You realise how small you are and insignificant you are. I've had that a few times, yeah. Have you? Yeah. When did you have, when did you have your... We was in Turin when I was about 17 in, in Italy. And we was at the base of a mountain. Um, say at the base of a mountain, it was it was probably a mile or so away. Coming from London, the only mountains I'd ever seen were tower blocks. Right. And and I'd not encountered a huge piece of land going up in the sky. We got in into this place um, very late at night. I was with a my mate was a lorry driver, and we went out to to Italy there. And we, we got there of a night and then of a morning, I've got out the, the lorry and I've just seen this, you know, mound. And it, it, again, that really made me feel the size I actually am in comparison to the earth, yeah. you know? And how did that make you feel though? Other than feeling small or insignificant, what else, what other feeling did you well, get? That, that's, that's all I got at, at that point. I just realized you know, at that point, at 17, you know, the world was within a couple of metres of me. You know, I was the world, you know, that's, that's yeah, all I thought about was me. Yeah. And, yeah. But that was the realisation that the world is a lot bigger than me. You know, that was yeah. the first, that was the first one. I think what, what happened uh, for me, that's why I was asking you, was that, that that insignificance was very freeing. Yeah. And I felt like it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It, it like you're alive. You're on this planet, and I felt like my feet were going through the ground. Yeah, I felt so at one with everything. And people talk about that. I've been obsessed with it really since then. It's something that I understand when people, if they find religion or something, where they want to share it with yeah. others. Yeah, uh, I feel like there was something I understood, but it wasn't intellectual, and I can't actually express it with words, but when I want to feel that way again, I take myself back there in my yeah. head and yeah. it's a wonderful feeling. So it helps keep perspective. Yeah. And it wants, you know, it helps me to sort of see um, how important nature and how is and how we have to understand where we fit within that really. Yeah. Well, I have exactly the same feeling as that. I do the opposite. And at certain times, I take myself back into prison. Right. And, and to the darkest time in prison as well. Yeah. And, and that, But there was that point that you're on about, that tipping point, when as much as I, had, I was seeing all of this bad in me, at one moment, I just saw this little glimmer of good. And I found that, looked at it, gr grabbed hold of it. And, yeah, and as that light got brighter... 
yeah, the, the, the sort of darkness pushed to one side. And yeah, I do take myself back there sometimes. And, and that always gives me a bit of clarity, you know? That's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, you've been on such a journey. My theory is the most interesting and often the most empathetic people are people who've actually suffered something and uh, have gone through transformative experiences. Yeah. So they really understand how people can get themselves into situations that can be incredibly sort of destructive, um, but have... I've found that people who've, who've been on those journeys often understand what it is to be human much more than people who've led almost a blame-free life. I agree. You know, and and um, I've seen it through people I've known that have been to prison, but also I used to help out. I used to go every Friday to King's Cross and um, volunteer to work with homeless women and prostitutes at a place called Women of the Well or women at the well, and it's run by nuns. So I felt at home because going to <laughs> yeah. convent school. But I love these nuns, they're right radical. <laughs> and, uh, and and I'm afraid men aren't, aren't allowed in the building yeah. because a lot of the women have been traumatized. Of course, of course, yeah. And they're very vulnerable. And I used to go there and I would do art with everyone. And I've never seen such kindness as I saw from some of these women that you would see them out begging on the street and everything. They, and their resilience and how they were able to carry on living and they had sense of humor and yeah, yeah. they were lovely. I loved working with them. I really, really did. And I, I just thought they were, they taught me a lot and I felt very humble in their presence because what a lot of these women were going through and you, you know, and the nuns were doing their bit to help them, but these women would be suffering on such a level and yeah. living day to day, uh, you know, deep psychological suffering, but still having a caring thought for others. Yeah. Part of that that changed me as well, because before the point that I'm speaking of, um, you know, I was 26 when I went away. I was I was having a bloody amazing life, to be honest. It was it was very criminal, very violent. It was fun. It was exciting. There was girls. There was money. It was everything a young thug, if you like, would yeah. want. And then getting arrested was a you know that was a sort of par for the course, if you like, you know. Yes. But then finding that realization that when I was looking at people and thinking, oh, I, I don't like what you're doing. I don't like that bit of personality that, you know, about you. Yeah. And then finding that I had that in, you know, in, in bucket loads. Oh, right. And then yeah. I'm thinking, Christ, well, you know, I don't like it about him, but I've got it as well. And that's what I was saying when I started looking in the mirror and like, honestly, you know, like stripping away my, the bad bits of my personality. And yeah, when, when you sort of look at what's left and you go, Christ almighty, you start seeing in that environment I was, you start to understand. Once you start looking at yourself, then you can look at others in a positive light as well, is what I found. Yes. And then when you've got that, I mean, out on the street, for instance, when you walk through the town centre and you've got that bloke who's shouting and screaming at people drunk, yeah. you know, you don't just look at him for what he is at that moment. You try to think what has got him to that point, you yes. know? And as soon as you start thinking like, oh, having empathy 
as soon yeah. as you start having that little bit of empathy for yourself as well and that's the that's the key I think you mentioned earlier you mentioned the work in your current exhibition yeah what and where is your current exhibition okay it's uh, the show is going to be is titled trailing and it's on at uh, 99 Projects Gallery. It's run by Frances Casey. It's a lovely space and yeah. she's a terrific gallerist. Uh, the work will include some very large painted collages, I call them, of yeah. Marlborough Woman. Nice. Uh, there's Giclée prints of a whole series of work which are called the Daddy series which is um, where I've used a lot of photography um, from the Mojave Desert. And then I've taken uh, the Virgin Mary from Poussin's Assumption and Daniel Craig as James Bond. Nice. And they're called the Daddy series. It's very much to do with how we're influenced by, by what we see. Yeah. And um, I made these before the film the last James Bond film had come out. Yeah. And I wanted to make him into a father because he was the last person, you know, I knew that men, men that I knew that said, oh, you know, why they like James Bond. Yeah. It's got nothing to do with domesticity and responsibility and being a father. No. And, um, and I feel as a feminist, I want to uh, expand the conversation not just about what women are doing, but actually about where men are placed. Yeah. And um, and so I've done this whole series and he's he's elevated in the sky and he has cherubs around him and he can either look like he's falling or he's ascending. Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, uh, there's, so there's those, and one of them is particularly cinematic. So it's on a... It's, uh, it's a very sort of panoramic uh, dimensions. Not, not, they're not huge because they're Giclée prints, but this would be about 40 inches wide by oh, well. 25 inches deep. Yeah, still a nice size. Yeah, but uh, whereas my paintings went up to 12 foot by five, you know, and wow. I, I'm very comfortable. Well, I, I love working big. Yeah. yeah. Um, so... There's those, and then there's going to be some uh, large oil paintings um, and some uh, large acrylics, and then some sm a lot of small uh, paintings of the desert and watercolours. Nice. When's that on from and until? That starts, the private view's on the 13th of October, which is the Thursday, and I think it closes on the 6th of November. Kensal Rise, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Chamberlain Road. How can anyone find what you're doing, be it website or social media? I'm on Instagram as Trish Wiley Artist. And I've got a website. And that's, um, I think that's trishwileyartist.com. Um, but in fact, my, my website is um, being currently being redesigned. So when people go onto my current website, it's not as up to date as it could be, but it's, it's being worked on at the moment, but it's not been launched yet, the new one. Well, Trish, all the very best at 99 Projects. And that's all my questions asked for today. Right, <laughs> well, have a great rest of the day. And I'll Thank speak you. to you soon. Yeah, you later Thank on. you.
Bye-bye well, now. Well, hope you enjoyed that episode of the Ministry of Arts podcast. So we wasn't dictated to by advertisers, we decided from the offset to go ad-free, which means, obviously, we had to self-fund. So we set up the Ministry of Arts Patreon page. And without that support, we would not be able to produce this podcast. So if you like what you hear and you're able to support the podcast, just go over to the Ministry of Arts Instagram profile. You'll find a Linktree drop-down box, which will direct you straight to our Patreon page. And for the price of a cup of coffee, you can help keep us growing week by week. But if you're not able to do that, that's fine because this content is free for everyone. But leaving a review on whichever platform you listen to your podcast, that really does help us get noticed and anyone else looking for an art podcast. Or even giving us a positive shout out on your social media. Everything is appreciated. But either way, thanks for listening. And until next week, Zadar. are on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365 day returns If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.